And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we see in the book of Acts is the follow-through. It's the outbreak of the work of the Holy Spirit. It all began when, in the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned. At that precise moment that Adam sinned, God already knew he would sin and already had a plan to reach the world with redemptive history. It started through the Old Testament. Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets, were a foreshadow of what was to come. Jesus Christ is the hidden feature of the Old Testament, who all of a sudden shows up and he comes in the form of a little baby, God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity who created all things in the beginning, became human flesh and blood so that he could carry out God's redemptive plan for mankind. He goes to the cross bearing the sins that you and I committed, the sins that we inherited from Adam. And there God puts upon him the judgment, the pain, the agony, the wrath that was for you and I. It was never that Jesus sinned himself. He never sinned. But like a sacrificial lamb, God allowed Jesus to take on our sin and be put to death in our place. And so Jesus is raised three days later, which is proof that his death on the cross was sufficient to satisfy God's wrath and anger and judgment. And then after 40 days appearing on the earth after his resurrection to over 500 witnesses, the Bible says, he ascended into heaven. But before he went to heaven, he first gave a final word to his disciples. I want you to remain here in Jerusalem because after I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He is the Spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. And if you'll remain in Jerusalem, the Spirit will come upon you. He will, ippy in the Greek, overflow you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the earth. And of course, what happens on the day of Pentecost just as Jesus said, he is gone, the Spirit arrives, comes upon the 120 believers, and immediately the work of witnessing takes place. A, a supernatural divine intervention of God occurs. Men and women who had gathered in Jerusalem for P Pentecost were taken by what they were hearing coming out of the mouths of these Galileans, they heard in their own native tongues from all over the known world, these men speaking about the mighty things that God has done, 
and Peter begins to preach a sermon to them. And he calls them to repentance in the name of Jesus Christ. And that day, 3,000 people were saved. What Scotty just read for us and what I just brought to your attention line up beautifully. In verses 42 through 47, we now see the church in its full splendor. Now the church of Jesus Christ is born. It started with the Old Testament giving us all the information of the shadow of Christ. In the New Testament, the shadow becomes the substance. He is literally in the flesh walking among men. After his resurrection and ascension, now the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, steps in and comes upon the believers. And on that first Sunday that they had a worship service, a preaching, 3,000 men were saved. What a great outpouring. And the church is born. What is the church? The church is the ecclesia in the Greek. It's the called ones, those who are called by God out of darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, those who are called into salvation. It is not the work of man that anyone is saved. It is the total work of the Holy Spirit who calls us, who regenerates us, and who fills us. God gets all the glory for salvation. Now the believer is called to walk in the work of, of God. Once you're saved, now salvation is done. It's an event. It's not a process. You can't be saved today and then unsaved tomorrow and resaved next Sunday. I know some people believe that. You cannot prove that biblically. You are saved. It is an event. God has set you free from the bondage and the penalty and the power of sin. Now, the Holy Spirit dwells within you as a believer, and you begin the process of sanctification. Salvation is an event. Sanctification is a lifelong process where every day the Holy Spirit of God is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the whole purpose of our existence on the earth as saved beings is to proclaim the name of Jesus and let others see Christ in us that they too might be saved. That is why we are here. That is the purpose of the church. That was part of God's plan of redemption even back when Adam sinned, was that you and I would one day in this age be saved and we would carry forth God's redemptive story into the world. That's what we're here for. That's why we exist. Now we come into chapter 3, and we see the work begin. The church is now unleashed to go into the world by the work of the Spirit, and this is what happens. Today's study is how Peter and John took the message of Jesus to a lame man. They are simply obeying the Spirit as they are on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. Verse 1 says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The Jewish day began at sunrise, okay, and, and then of course sunset, it ended. 
So the third hour of the day would be 9 a.m. The, uh, the sixth hour would be noon. The ninth hour, which is when they were going to temple, was three in the afternoon. By the way, devout Jews would go to temple and pray three times a day. The third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. Peter and John continued after salvation, after the day of Pentecost, to practice going to temple to pray for three hours. But one big difference. They are not going as the Jew would go to temple and pray. They have now been redeemed through Christ. They have waited until after the sacrifice was offered in the temple, which would have been prior to the hour of prayer. They would not go for that. Why? Because their Savior is Jesus Christ, and once for all, he became the sacrificial lamb. They don't, no longer need to go to temple for animal sacrifice. And when they gather, they're not gathering with the Jews who are practicing Judaism. They would actually go to temple, and they would stand at Solomon's colonnade or in one of the outer courts as believers who were gathering, and they would have their own prayers. Let me tell you what those prayers consisted of. It's a beautiful thing. The first 15 minutes was silent meditation. And then there would be 30 minutes of petition, followed by 15 more minutes of adoration. So they would meditate on the greatness and the goodness of God, which would prepare their hearts and their minds to bring their requests before God. I love that. When you realize that even your biggest concerns are no problem for God, your heart will overflow in worship towards him. That is worship-based prayer. You don't start with needs. You start with God. Verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Don't get the picture in your mind of this man standing at the gate of the city. He's not. There were several gates surrounding the city. He is at the gate, one of the gates, going to temple. Okay? And, uh, and, and as he's there, it's interesting. We see Peter and John showing great sensitivity. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. That's the first point I want you to write down. Peter and John were men of sensitivity. It's actually not that they had this innate ability to be sensitive. It could be said of all of us. It should be said of all of us who are believers that we, too, walk on this earth with sensitivity. You see, when this man called out to them, they fastened their eyes on him, the Scripture says. No doubt they recognized this guy right away. He's there every day trying to gather alms. They know him well. But this time, something's different. What is it? The Holy Spirit is now prompting them to go to this man and to minister to this man, just as he's trying to get you and I to be sensitive every day as we walk this earth, looking at people, gazing upon them. This time they had been infused with the power 
to witness by the Holy Spirit. And, and said, they said to the man, look at us. Peter and John were not just sensitive, they were also flexible. They're going to stop on their way to temple. I imagine it probably entered one of their minds saying to the other, hey, wait a second, what are you doing? we got to get to temple. We're the ones that are starting the prayer meeting. If we stop here, we're going to be late to the prayer service. But yet they, they were flexible. Listen, interruptions in our life are often divine inspirations. Please write that down. Interruptions are divine inspirations. When we become so busy in our world, we cannot walk in the Spirit, and people become a bother to us. When you, whenever you see someone who's walking in the Spirit, guaranteed they are ministering to people. You cannot walk in the Spirit and not be focused on people. Be flexible to minister to people. To not walk in the Spirit is to not see people as ministry. It's to see people as a bother. Have you ever woken up in the morning and said, I can't be bothered today, I've got so much to do. You just said that today you've chosen not to walk in the Spirit. Because I promise you, if you awake in the morning and you say, Holy Spirit, today, use me, then what's going to happen is he's going to have people on your mind. You will be sensitive to what's happening. And when that divine inspiration comes at the moment of what might look like an interruption, you will be warmed to it, drawn to it, because you prepared that morning. You allowed the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life. And guess what happens? That's a way for you to be conformed to Christ. You look more like Jesus when you do that. When you just find time for someone. Yesterday, Scott Walker and I were working together and uh, at my house, cutting, lifting some trees. Uh, you don't know what that means. Don't worry about it. It's crazy. Uh, just taking the bottom limbs out of the trees. And uh, we had a load on my little truck. You know, we piled it really high, and then we threw a strap over and you know, cinched it down, and we headed off to the garbage disposal center. Got there and started unloading, and there was a gentleman who worked there. He was right there, and I spoke to him and just uh, started talking. Found out he's from Long Island. He's only been here a short time, and he's not married, and he's a young, young adult. And uh, I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he kind of beat around a little bit, and I said, so do you go to church? And he said, no, um, and then he re finally reciprocated. So where do you go, or you know, what, what about church? And I told him about our church, and he said to me, I can't come tomorrow, but I will come the following week, so I'm looking forward to seeing him next week. A divine interruption that leads to divine inspiration. They happen all the time. They should. Be flexible. Be sensitive. This is Peter and John. Verse 5, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. This lame man expected to receive something from them. This is very interesting to me. I want to speak to the young people today that are here. 
Because what you're learning in the educational system of our country is absolutely the opposite of the truth. Did you know that in the world, when people are hurting in the world, guess where they turn for help? The very country that you're being told is such a terrible country. And guess what else? All over the world, no one is turned to more when they're hurting than they turn to Christians. This has always been the case. It always will be the case. This man, he turned to Peter and John. This is the infancy of the Christian church. He didn't understand that, but he knew that people who come to temple, people who are religious or more likely to help me than anybody else. And as Christians, this is who we are. If only our children would be taught that truth. But Peter said, verse 6, I have no silver and gold. Oh my goodness, wait a minute. Those words should never be heard in a prosperity message. Can you imagine a prosperity preacher getting up and saying, that I have no silver and gold. You'd never be popular today. That's a far cry from name it, claim it, seed faith, prosperity message. The story is told of the Catholic priest, Thomas Aquinas, that he walked in on the Pope, who one day was sitting at the coffers, counting the gold and the silver. And the Pope said, greetings, Thomas. And then he cheerfully added, we can no longer say silver and gold, have we none, now can we? And Thomas Aquinas looked at the Pope and said, and neither can we say in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Verse 6, but what I do have, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter and John were not just men of sensitivity and flexibility they were men of authority. They didn't speak on their own. They didn't pull out money out of their own pockets. They spoke on the authority of none other than the second person of the Trinity who went to the cross and died for their sins. They said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, walk. Having the Spirit upon them, they were now operating out of the overflow and were able to administer God's power to this hurting man. In verse 7, then he took him by the right hand, this would be Peter, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This man had never walked from birth. His, his problem was a birth defect. He never knew what it was to walk to jump, to run. And it says in verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, with Peter and John, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Look what happens, church. 
when you and I are flexible enough to be interrupted by one of God's divine appointments and his inspiration takes over. I love that. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That's one of the places the scripture says where the church would gather to pray was at Solomon's colonnade. And that's exactly where these men have gone after they raised him up and he's healed. Now they go on to the prayer meeting and this guy stays with them. He's attached to them. Why? He thinks they did it. Now he's giving praise to God, but you are the one that took my hand and raised me up. This man did not have faith to believe that he could be healed. If he did, he wouldn't have been jumping around like he was. You don't see Peter and John after he's raised up going, Woohoo! Wow! Look at that! They expected it because they believed. This man didn't believe. And now he's hanging on to them as if they are the healers. They're the ones. It's about what they did to me. Leaping up. And Peter and John, <laughs> while the, he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Uh, Peter and John also, they were men of humility, just as you and I should be people of humility. See, the greatest temptation for Peter was taking this man by the hand and lifting him up and seeing what happened. It would have been easy to take a little bit of the credit for that. Did you see what God did when I reached out and took him by the hand, I got to get that patented. That's how you heal people. You take them by the hand and you raise them up. Peter going off in his own mind, trying to figure out what it was that triggered the healing of God. Look at what just happened. I had this surge of faith and power, and I, as I grabbed this man, he was made well. This calls for the birth of a new ministry, the Apostle Peter International Divine Healing Ministry. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is what people do today. It's not what Peter did. Can you imagine Peter turning? Did anyone get the Instagram picture for that? I, get that thing out there on social media. What just happened? Take a video. Did anybody video that? I'm going to take this man on the healing tour. We're going to make some money. God help us. It's amazing what our wicked hearts can contrive as we do the Lord's work. But in the next verse, Peter does the exact opposite of that nonsense. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the crowd. Look at this. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? Get your eyes off of us as though by our own power or piety, by our good works, by our clean, you know, pure living, we have made this man walk. He shoots down every possible thought that they might have. Right when the crowd hears the commotion and gathers, Peter points them to God. He gives all the glory to God. Verse 13, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified 
His servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Notice Peter didn't talk about himself. He resisted the temptation to make it about him. Whenever God uses someone in a special way, we're so quick to think of them as special. Oh, he's so special. She is so anointed. By the way, Old Testament, people were anointed, certain people. New Testament, every believer is anointed. Anointing is simply the Holy Spirit that has control. He's in you. Every believer has the Holy Spirit, therefore every believer is anointed. Ridiculous to think that only certain people can be special or anointed. God's not looking for special anointed people. He's looking for people who believe in God who is special. Who, 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 who has put the spirit of anointing in you already. And so the crowd's just taken by this, but Peter and John, they're not moved by it. It's interesting how we, we, we can be easily tempted if you walk into a crowded room and there's many conversations going on and all of a sudden somebody mentions your name, you hear it. <laughs> Out of all the conversations, what did you hear? My name. And you look over. It's about you. Someone's going to speak and they mention your name. Man, you pick up on that quick. It's amazing how we can't hear anything else when we're supposed to hear it and a sermon on a Sunday morning. But if I mention your name, salesmen, they're good at that. They first meet you when you walk up on the lot. What's your name? And man, you're just so thankful that they asked. Nobody ever says, oh, that's not important. Don't worry about my name. No, it's, well, I'm John. Well, I'm Steve. Well, I'm Nancy. We just give our name, man. That's what it's all about. Uh, listen to this. I want to just help you because I think as we minister in the name of Jesus, people will mention our names and we can easily let our name get to us. But in, in Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved images when you and i as the church simply allow the spirit to use us to minister and witness for jesus in this world and somebody mentions our name we should immediately take the attention off of us and give it to god Amen. always no room for your name god's not interested in your praise he's not interested in your respect and popularity he wants only his name to be great his glory, not your glory. The quickest way to obscurity in ministry is to want your name to be great. We should only desire that the Lord's name be great. That especially goes for pastors and elders and worship leaders and singers and teachers. Those who stand up in front of others and others can see them. You have to especially work hard not to let your name become the focus of somebody's life. I remember sitting recently with Ray Garcia sitting in uh, uh, the Sonny's restaurant and someone came around the corner. Oh, Pastor Greg, 
I remember when you saved me. Oh, Lord, help us. I have never participated in the least of someone's salvation. That is totally the work of God. They said, I remember when you prayed the prayer of salvation. I know I'm saved because you prayed the prayer. No, that's not why you're saved. Either the Holy Spirit called you and regenerated you, or you're not saved. There just ain't nobody out there that's that good that can save another. The Lord doesn't share his glory, church. So get off that high horse. I'm no more anointed than you are. You're, you're no, listen, Billy Graham was no more anointed than you're anointed. He had the same Holy Spirit in him that you have in you. The difference is he every day got up and gave whatever, he gave himself to the Holy Spirit. Use me however you want to use me. You can do the same. I can do the same. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the, our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. So Peter gave God all the glory for the things he had already done and what he had just done to this lame man. He put the focus on Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul said it so well. Write that down, Philippians 2, 9, here it is. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Who? Jesus, not you, not me, Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Then Peter describes who Jesus is and what the Jews needed to do. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That doesn't sound like the kind of sermon that will win people to the church. He's actually telling them that they're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. What, who would be thrilled to hear that? Who wants to come back to church after hearing that? And then he goes further, and you killed the author of life. You killed the second person of the Trinity who was with God in the beginning, created all things, and all things are held together by him. You killed him physically, whom God raised from the dead. And then he said this, to this we're witnesses. We were there when you crucified him, when you yelled out his name rather than Barabbas, and we were there after his resurrection. This is proof of the resurrection right here. Peter just said, and look at what he says, to this we are witnesses. We know that he was raised from the dead because we saw him. So they were the ones who put the holy and righteous one to death on the cross. Verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. So it's worth noting that it wasn't the layman's faith again that figured into his, in the equation for his healing. There is nothing said about this man having faith to be healed. He didn't. The idea that the reason someone remains sick is because they don't have enough faith, that's, that's, that's crazy. It's not lack of faith that caused your sickness, and it's not faith that, that your faith that takes away sickness. It's the work of the Lord. 
And guess what? To believe in the Lord that he can heal, God gives you that faith to believe. None of it's ours. You say, well, I had the faith to believe to be saved. No, you didn't. The Bible says that God has given to every man a measure of faith. God gave you a measure. <laughs> There's nothing that you can claim in your salvation. No part of it. If you're saved, you're not saved because you mustered up enough faith to save yourself. God gave you the measure. Verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Now, that's interesting. Notice how Peter changed tactics. You put the Son of God on the cross, but what you did, you did through ignorance. You did it, but you didn't understand what you were doing. By saying this, Peter's leaving the door open for the crowd to repent. See, God presses the sinner with their sins. God's out to make us feel guilty. Yes, God wants you to feel guilty when you sin. However, he doesn't want to destroy your soul with condemnation. There's a difference between feeling guilty over sin and condemning someone because they sinned. God wants you to feel guilt so that you'll turn, you'll repent, and then he saves you. He doesn't lead you into condemnation. He leads you into freedom. So Peter here is, he says, verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You used to see Jesus as someone that's worthy of death. You chose Barabbas over Jesus. But now you need to begin thinking differently because the Spirit of God is opening your eyes to see Jesus differently. Allow God to change who he is to you. You saw him as simply a God who through a religious practice of Judaism, you could have some kind of a semblance of a relationship. But you need to see now that God himself came to earth in the form of Jesus, died for you so that you could have relationship with him. God's opened your eyes. Allow him to open your eyes to see it. Remember what Paul said about the Jews? That Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. They don't see because Satan's blinded them. But God comes along and he lifts the blinders. Peter's saying to these guys, listen, God's trying to lift the blinders right now. So open your eyes. See differently. See Jesus differently here. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not, you know, just turn and go the other way. That's the second thing that repentance leads us to. The first thing is that we see differently. The, the prodigal son, he came to his senses, then he headed for home. So don't skip that step. Don't think, well, I just got to change the way I'm living. You can't. You got to see Jesus differently. You got to see the Holy Spirit as the one who's going to give you the power to overcome the temptation of sin in your life. And now all of a sudden you can turn. It's the work of the Lord. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That phrase, times of refreshing, is spoken of about six different times in the Old Testament. In every case, it has a prophetic meaning. It speaks of the time when Jesus returns. But it also has a personal meaning. Look what he said, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You can have the presence of the Lord through a time of refreshing. 
We can be refreshed presently. Right now today in a hot room, we can be refreshed in the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, and, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you. I love that. See, that's how salvation occurs. The Holy Spirit comes to us. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Well, that's very important. Understand that just, that just as we repent, think differently in turn from our former ways of thinking. It is the Lord who sends the Spirit to you. He's doing all that work. The text says that Jesus is appointed for you. Jesus is calling you unto himself. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul does not listen to the prophet that uh, shall be destroyed from the people. And all, that the pro and, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who come after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I love that. In that little passage, Peter quoted from Genesis, he quoted from Deuteronomy, and he quotes from 1 Samuel. Listen, when we minister in the name of the Lord... We minister the Word of God. That's the greatest weapon you have. You don't minister your own personal story alone. Know the Word of God. Keep studying. Learn the Word of God. Peter here used the Word of God to help the Jews understand who Jesus is. Jesus taught his own disciples that way. After his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, he comes up on these these two guys, these two disciples walking along. They're not part of the 12, but they knew the 12. They were part of the 120. And Jesus comes up on them, and it says in verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 27 of Luke, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Up to that point in time, they, all, they didn't really understand the Old Testament, the prophecies. They saw the type, but they didn't really understand the type. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus says, I'm he. All that stuff, all the prophets, what they spoke about, the Messianic prophecies, it was about me. And then in verse 28, listen to this. So they come to the end of the day, Jesus has been telling them from the Scripture who he is. And now, all of a sudden, the light's on. And it says, they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, which is exactly what he did with the feeding of the 5,000, which they were there. And their eyes were opened. There it is. The Holy Spirit opens the eyes. And they recognized him. They didn't know who it was that was telling them all about the Old Testament, about the Messiah. And then they realized, you're... You, you, you're him. And they said to each other, and, and he vanished from their sight. Wow, can you imagine that? Guys, can you imagine that? Jesus sitting there having a meal with you, and all of a sudden he just vanishes in front of you. That's what they experienced. And he vanished from their sight. Verse 32. And they said to each other, Did not 
our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? See, when we open the word of God and we come with a heart to to learn and grow so that we can be better witnesses, your heart burns. It's exciting. It's intense. It's inspiring. Because you know that there's a purpose for which you're learning that you might be a greater witness. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then Then they told what they had experienced on the road to Emmaus and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So the study of Scripture is lifelong. I don't know how long you've known the Lord, but you'll never get to a place where you're done studying the Bible. And you don't study just so you have information in your head. You're studying for the purpose of being a witness for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I wonder today, because I've taken time to share the gospel story with you. I even went back to Genesis, to Adam and Eve, and God's redemptive plan, and Jesus being the fulfillment, and how he went to the cross and took your place on the cross. We've explained all that. I wonder if today there's someone here today who now you need to see Jesus differently. You've always thought of him as whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah, he, you know, he little baby in a manger, six-pound, two-ounce baby Jesus. He was almost a preemie. People have the weirdest thoughts about Jesus. Oh, you know, he was a great prophet. He was a good man. He gave a lot of wonderful principles. I want to carry the same attitude that Jesus carried when he lived on the earth. However you saw him today... With the Spirit of God in this place, He is saying to you, see Him differently. He is the second person of the Trinity. He was with God in the beginning, and even before the beginning, He existed. He came in flesh, and He died for you. And all you have to do is allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see it. And now turn from your sins, walk in a different direction. Follow Jesus. Let him be your Savior and your Lord. That's not a prayer. That's not an action step that you take, raise a hand, walk an aisle. That is you in your heart before God this morning coming to your senses and immediately upon believing what you now know about Jesus being saved. Totally a work of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that today... There is salvation offered in this place. It is not something that the person speaking gets credit for. It's not by how well or poorly he speaks it. Whenever the scripture is is communicated, the scripture does its work in spite of the vessel. That's why the Bible says it's the foolishness of preaching. That brings men into salvation. And so, Lord, today we thank you for the grace of God, for the gospel of God, for the work of God, and how we as believers now have opportunity to take this teaching and place it in our hearts and go out of here and look for divine interruptions God, help us when we are bothered by people. 
Yes, there are moments where we just must get something done. That's okay. But don't let us go through a day where we're inflexible, where we're not sensitive. May we always have a humble heart. And may we see the purpose of our existence to share Jesus with the world. Amen. God bless you, church. And those of you who might have even today began to think differently about Jesus and receiving by faith. Listen, that's awesome. Let us know about it. We've got some uh, elders and some prayer partners who will gather up front. And if you want to go talk to them, awesome. If you have a prayer request, come see one of them. They'll pray with you about whatever it is. That's what we're here for. But before you walk out, or maybe as you walk out into the nice open air, uh, not stale, but nice air, fellowship. Don't just walk away. Spend time with each other. God bless you, church.